as we sing this song there. All that my soul has tried left but a dismal void. Isn't that so true? Oh, that's so true. Man trying to work their own salvation out just leaves a dismal void. Jesus is satisfied. Praise be the Lord. Praise be the Lord. All the work of salvation is done. Done in Christ. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. The name of the message is Blessed Be the Lord. Blessed Be the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 8. We'll read verses 54 to 61. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 54 to 61. Our text will be found in this portion of Scripture. And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up. I had Brother Matt read that prayer because it ties right in with what we're reading here. And he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses' servant. The Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And let these my words, wherewith I have made supplications before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God, day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servant, and the cause of his people Israel at all times. And the matter shall require that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, and there is none else. Oh, what a What a verse there. Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in His statutes and to keep His commandments as at this day. Now the setting for our text in this chapter is the Ark of the Covenant has been bought into the temple. The work of the temple was complete. And all that was needed now was for the Ark to be bought in. And, And this is therefore the crowning work. The crowning work. Since the temple is finished and all that's left is for the Ark of the Covenant to come in. All the preparations have been made. The work is finished. And now was the solemn service of bringing up the Ark of God from the section of Jerusalem known as the city of David or Zion to being brought up to the temple on Mount Moriah which would be its fixed place of residence. And the Ark was put in the most holy place in the most holy place. And as soon as the ark, which we know is a picture of Christ, was, was given its proper place, the, the glory cloud signifying the divine presence filled the temple, beloved. Filled the temple. And we are taught here that it is the presence of the Lord in the assemblies of His people which gives glory to all the services which are done. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. If the Lord Jesus Christ is not with us, then our meetings and our ordinances are worthless. 
If the ark be not in the temple, all Solomon's labor is lost. Because again, the ark pictures Christ and represents God's presence with the Israelites. And so for the setting of our text in verses 1 to 11, we see the ark being brought into the temple. Then in verses 12 to 21, Solomon blesses the the Lord of glory. Then in verses 22 to 53, which I had Brother Matt read, we see Solomon as a picture of Christ interceding for the people of God. Interceding before the people of God. He's at the altar of the burnt offerings in the court of the priests. And this is where he prayed this prayer, which again is typical of Christ, who is always to be in sight in prayer. We're always to look to Him. It's He who we pray to. It's He who we pray to. And it is He, and through Him alone, through Christ alone, that all the sacrifices of prayer and praise become what? Acceptable to God. Only through Christ. Only through Christ. Look at verse 53. We see a picture of God's elect in Israel here. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance. Separated from all the people of the earth. God didn't choose the Egyptians or the Hittites or the Persites. No. He chose the Israelites. Out of all the people in the world, He chose them. He chose them. What a picture, beloved. We know that God's people, we don't know who they are. We do not know who the elect of God are. But God knows. And He has chosen the people. He's chosen the people from out of the world to be His inheritance, beloved. It's wonderful. For thou didst separate them from among the people of the earth to be thine inheritance, to be His. To be His. As thou speakest by the hand of Moses, thy servant, and thou, thou broughtest our fathers out of, the, out of Egypt, O Lord God. O Jehovah. Bless your name, Jehovah. Bless your name. The most holy and high, sovereign, almighty God. Bless your name. Bless your name. And think of how the separation of God's people in Christ. Think of this. How God, the separation of God's people in Christ commenced in eternity. In eternity, beloved. God chose a people in Christ. Before, before the earth ever was, He set apart unto Himself a people of His choosing. A people of His choosing. Objects of His eternal love. Undeserving, unmerited objects. Because when God looked down through time, He didn't see who chose Him. He saw all of us dead in trespasses and sins, beloved. He saw that there's none that seeketh after God. There's none that understand. And by His grace and His mercy, He chose us in Christ in eternity. Wonder of wonders. God did this. Wonder of wonders. People of his choosing. And, ha- and, and, and why did he do it? Because it pleased him to do so. And because it was all according to his purpose. To his purpose. And the believer in Christ, we marvel that we're in that number. 
don't we? We absolutely marvel. Marvel. But he did this. This separation of God's elect in Christ was a distinct act of grace. It was a distinct act of grace. God's people are chosen in Christ. And we see this pictured here in verse 53. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance. Now this separation of God's people in Christ is hidden from us. It's hidden from us. Because before we're born again, we do not know that, that God's love is being set upon us from eternity. We have no idea. We have no clue. Because we're born dead in trespasses and sins, the scripture says, with no hope. But the people of God who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, in God's due time and according to his purpose, those who are called out by the divine power of God with an effectual, invincible call, which you cannot resist, because it's the sovereign almighty God who calls us, Just as Christ said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came forth. He couldn't resist. He was dead. He was graveyard dead, and God called him forth from the grave. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he came, didn't he? He came. God's people are called out by God's divine power with an effectual call. And then they're separated from the people of the world. We looked at that on Wednesday night. Love not the world. We don't love the world. We did at one time, but we don't know more. We're just passing through, beloved. We're just passing through. Believers became separate from the hour of their conversion by possessing a new nature. They are born again by the Holy Spirit of God. So what was the design of our Lord in separating His people from among men? Well, the same reason He separated Israel from all the other nations. To be thine inheritance. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. It fills your heart with joy if you're a believer. It's wonderful. God has made a choice of a people who are called the Lord's portion. A lot of his inheritance, by which is meant he has a particular, a peculiar interest in them. They're set apart from the people of the world by his eternal love and by his eternal mercy and grace that's been set upon them from eternity in Christ. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 132. Psalm 132. Psalm 132. And then we'll go right back to 1 Kings chapter 8. Psalm 132. In light of this verse here, in light of verse 53 there, look at this in Psalm 132, verses 13 to 18. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. Well, we know Zion's a picture of the church, beloved. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. He's in the midst of his people, beloved. I will abundantly bless her provisions. How blessed are we in Christ. All our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. All of them. Washed in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified by God. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. 
Who's the bread of life for us, beloved? I will also clothe the priests with salvation. Oh my. God's people are clothed in the perfect spotless righteousness of Christ. And her saints shall shout aloud for joy. I ask you, saint of God, you who are one of the blood-bought people of God, do you not shout for joy in your heart over this wondrous salvation that we have in Christ? Oh my. We shout for joy, don't we? It's wondrous. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe with shame, but upon himself shall his crown flourish. Oh, what a wondrous salvation we have in Christ and Christ alone. Let's go back to 1 Kings. We'll read verses 54 to 56 or 61 again. And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. And he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses' servant, the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave, not leave us nor forsake us that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments which he commanded our fathers. And to let these my words wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God, and there is none else. Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes, and to keep his commandments at this day. We see here before us, Solomon asks in this prayer, and it's still granted in the intercession of Christ, Solomon's supplication was a type of Christ. He was a type of Christ here, that God's presence he asked in the supplication that God's presence would always be with his people. Always be with his people. That God would guide and direct his people. That God would watch over his people. That God would never leave nor forsake his people. And this is precious truth for the believer in Christ. We know we have the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth, beloved. God has never left us nor forsook us. Never. He's always with his people. Always. This prayer is being answered for God's people in Christ, in Christ alone. And we who are the people of God, we receive grace sufficient, don't we? We receive grace sufficient for the times that we go through. Suitable grace, seasonable grace, in every time of need. We always, always receive the grace that we need from the Lord. In times of grief and in times of joy, God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient, isn't it? He's ever with us. He never leave us. So think upon this, that no human heart of itself is willing to obey the gospel call. No human heart of itself is willing to obey the gospel call. To come to the God in faith and repentance. But oh, Solomon here though exhorts them to walk in the way of God. This is only true for those who are in Christ for those who are born again by the Holy Spirit of God, who by God's divine power are now servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're able to serve God through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is He who walked perfect before God for us. For us. And that perfect spotless righteousness is imputed to us, beloved. And again, as I've said many times, it is the love of Christ which now constrains us from sin. We do not desire to do the things we once did. And we repent before our God. And we ask, beg His forgiveness, don't we? Even as believers. Even as believers. Knowing that the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all sin. Wonderful. What a Savior. What a Redeemer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 56 here. There is so much packed into this verse. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he hath promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. What a verse. What a verse, beloved. There's so much packed in here. Take note of what's here before us. The first thing that I'd like us to consider is God's people worship and adore our great God. We worship and adore our great God. It says, blessed be the Lord. (laughs) Oh, that's what we say about our King. Blessed be our great God. Blessed be Jehovah. The Lord there is the self-existent one. Jehovah in in the Hebrew. Bless His name. And the world does not bless Jehovah, beloved. The world does not bless Jehovah. Just think of before we were saved. We didn't bless the Lord. No. But now, God's born again, blood-bought people. We bless the Lord. We praise His name for His goodness and mercy to us. Oh, the world doesn't bless Jehovah. They use His word as a, His name as a byword or a curse word. But God's born again people who have been separated from the world. As we saw in verse 53, Israel's a picture of us. Those who have been separated by by the Holy Spirit of God, born again, they reverence the name of the Lord. They say, bless his holy name. Glory to our great God for what he's done for us. And it's not hard for us to bless his name. When we think of all that the Lord has done for us, when we think of what the Lord's done for us, it is not hard for us to bless His name, beloved. It's not hard at all. And we see the reason that it's not hard. One of the reasons we see in the next part of the verse that it's not hard for God's people to bless the Lord. This verse continues. And for God's people, it's the Lord that's given rest unto His people. It's the Lord who's giving rest on you. And we know that the church is spiritual Israel. We know that from studying Scripture, beloved. Look, it says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. Oh, my. The Hebrew word here for rest, you know what it means? It means repose. It means to repose. I really like to read a lot of old sermons from the old timers. I love reading. And they use this word constantly, repose. Repose. Rest and repose in Christ. Rest and repose in Christ. The Hebrew word here for rest means peaceful rest. To be still. To be still. When you're being still, you ain't doing nothing. You're not working. You've ceased from your labors. Repose. 
peaceful rest to be still. To be still. Now let us consider historically the rest that Israel had, now had. And where again, we see it's a picture of the church. They were bought out from the bondage of labor and being slaves in Egypt, weren't they? They'd been bought out. And they were now at rest from wandering around in the desert. Which pictures our journey through the desert of this world, the wilderness of this world after the Lord saves us. And they're now in the promised land, beloved. And the Ark of the Covenant was in its place, and God was in their presence. They're in the land of rest. And they had rest in the land from their enemies, and, from, and the presence of God was in the temple. Now the rest which God gives to His people, to His born-again, blood-washed people, is all according to God's divine plan. And this rest that we have is in Christ, in Christ alone. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. He who has entered into the rest of Christ has ceased from his labors. See, there was at once a time when, when we thought we could earn our salvation by the things that we did. Well, if I just read my Bible enough, or if I just pray enough, or, or even before we were saved, well, I'm a good person. If I, you know, Surely God won't send someone to hell. Well, maybe that murderer in prison, but surely not me. All the time not knowing that we were dead in trespasses and sins without hope and without God in this world. Trying to work our way to glory. Trying to gain merit and favor with God by what we did. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There's a rest to the people of God. And we know who that rest is. That rest is Christ, isn't it? That rest is Christ. For he that has entered into his rest, God's rest, which is Christ, he hath also ceased from his own works as God did from his. The believer in Christ has ceased from his labors. Ceased from trying to gain merit and favor with God. Ceased from trying to, to, to save ourselves, which we know we can't do, but we didn't know that at the time. And we've entered into the rest of Christ. We've put our hope and all our trust in the one who did all the work, beloved. Did all the work. So God's people, we cease from our labors. What does the Lord say? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Rest. And that's rest for your soul, beloved. That's rest for your soul. My. Not one person topside of this, this earth who, who could ever work their way to heaven. Because we're sinners. He who looks to Christ looks to the one, as I said, who has ceased or who, who's done all the work and we, and we cease from our labors. Oh my. And when we leave this earth, we who are the born again, blood washed saints of God, we are in the presence of God. We're in the presence of the Lord. We will gaze upon He who is our rest. We'll gaze upon He who is our rest. We're gaze upon he who took us from the slave block of sin, which, which Egypt pictured the world. He took us from that. He took us from that. We're gaze upon the one who is our rest, the one who took us through the wilderness of this world, the desert of this world, the one who was ever with us, 
the one who has promised to never leave nor forsake his people. We will gaze upon his face, beloved. We will see him. Or gaze upon the very one who proclaimed, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. We're, we're see him when we're in glory. You know, the Greek word used in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It has the same meaning as the word we looked at over there in First Kings, it means repose. In the Greek, it means repose. So we see in the Hebrew, and we see in the Greek, we are to repose in Christ, just to rest. Rest. Just rest in Him, beloved. Rest in Him. And in English, the repose means a state of rest or tranquility. It's a state. You're just, you're just resting. You're being still. You're just being still. Let's go back to First Kings. 8.56. And we who are the people of God, we know with confidence that we're the people of God. We're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, all according to His work. We've been given rest, beloved. And we know that this rest only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the only true rest for sinners. The only true rest for sinners is found in Christ. In Christ alone. Nowhere else. Let's look at our text again. It says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. Oh, what a rest we have in Christ. Look at this. According to all that he promised. According to all that he promised. The scripture here declares that this rest that God has given his people is according to his promise. According to his promise. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We know that from the scriptures that all the promises of God are, are in Christ, yea and amen. And here is just a few of the promises. We'll just look at a few of the promises here. Just a couple. Our Lord Jesus Christ promises that our salvation is secure in Him. He's promised us that our salvation in Christ is secure in Him. Now we know left to ourselves, we'd be gone. We cannot save ourselves and we cannot keep ourselves. But look at this in John 10, verses 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice. And beloved, that is with an effectual, irresistible call of God the Holy Spirit. And I know them. That's Gnoska. He knows us intimately. He knows them intimately. In the Greek, that's gnosko. That's an intimate relationship. And they follow me. It doesn't say, well, they might if they choose me, does it? Because we know we'd never choose God. No, it says they follow me. Why? Because the divine power of God is exercised when we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And thy people shall be made willing in the day of his power. And they flee right to Christ. They will follow Christ. And look at this. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. These are the words of God incarnate in the flesh, beloved. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them 
out of my Father's hands. This is wonderful. And they shall never perish. This is good news for sinners. Wonderful news for sinners. God has never or God has promised to never leave his people nor forsake us. We'll look at that a little bit later. But God also promises to finish the the work he's begun in us. And remember, all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. Turn, if you would, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. God promises to finish the good work which he's begun in us. He's the Alpha and the Omega of our salvation, isn't he? He's the the beginning and the end. Philippians chapter 1. Verses 3 to 7. Oh, let this be honey to your soul, you who are the redeemed of the Lord. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 3. Verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine before you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. God will finish the work that he's begun in us. And we'll be taken home to glory, beloved, to be in his presence forever. To gaze again, to gaze upon the one who is the rest of his people. Forever. Forever. Even as it is meet for me to think of you, uh, this of you all, because I have you in my heart, and so much as both in, in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace. Now turn to Matthew chapter 16, if you would. Matthew chapter 16. (coughs) Our Savior promised to, here come back. Here come back. Matthew 16, verses 24 to 27. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what, shall, what, what, is, a pro, what is man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall man give in exchange for his own soul? For the Son of Man shall come in glory of his Father with his angels, and he shall reward every man according to his works. Our Lord's coming again. He's coming again. But look at, look at there. Look at there. In verse 25 and 26. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing that we can give, nothing that we could give would merit an exchange for our souls, beloved. Because we're all sinners. If you could gain everything in the world, everything in the world, and lose your soul, you profited nothing. But the believer in Christ, we don't give anything in exchange for our soul because Christ did it all. He did it all for us. He offered himself as, as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And the believer in Christ is richer than any man in this world. You, you count the richest man in this world? Each believer is far richer in Christ than any, any, even the wealthiest man in this world. 
We, we're going to spend eternity with our Lord in glory, all because of what he's done. All because of what he's done. It's glorious. It's absolutely glorious. And beloved, these promises of God, we know are yea and amen in Christ, and they are sure and they are steadfast. They are sure and steadfast. They come from he. Now remember, the promises of God come from he who is the the same yesterday, today, and forever. They come from him. They come from him who reigneth in majesty over all the world. They come from he who has all power and ability. And these promises are established by God. And they cannot be moved. They cannot be moved. Now then think of the promises of God and how they are, again, yea and amen in Christ. It's God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who made a a covenant in eternity to save a people. God the Father chose His people in Christ. and, And it's God who carried that which He had purposed and planned all by His divine power as Christ. God incarnated in flesh, the great substitute. He goes to Calvary's cross and dies in the place of His people, totally satisfying all that God demanded for the redemption of the souls of His people. How? By the shedding of His own precious blood, by the giving of His life to purchase our eternal souls. Is it any wonder then that the people of God say, bless the Lord? Bless the Lord. And it's God the Son who sends the Holy Spirit just as He promised He would. And we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, we who are the people of God, and He guides us into all truth. And we know who is the truth. Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. He reveals Christ to us and the things of Christ. How? Through the preaching and study of the Word of God as Peter brought forth in the Sunday school lesson. This, this, the gospel is constantly being preached to us to bring us into remembrance of the great things God has done for us. In the Scriptures proclaim Christ. They proclaim that he has saved his people from their sins. And we gospel preachers, we preach a salvation that's finished, that's complete, that Christ did it all. And thus we tell sinners to look to Christ. He's the only Savior. There's no other Savior but Christ and Christ alone. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. Look at these words. Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. God delights in Christ, beloved. And we who are in Christ, God delights in us because we're in Christ. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's incredible. He's the head and we're the body. Look at this in Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, Mine elect, that's Christ. This is Christ. He's we're, we're, in whom my soul delighteth. God delights in Christ, 
I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up his cause, his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto the, unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged. He shall not fail. And he did not fail in his work of redemption. He came here to save his people from their sins, and he did it. He did it. Praise God, he did it. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out. Look at, look at the majesty proclaimed here. Thus saith the Lord God, he that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto his people. The, the, only, the, the breath we breathe comes from our great God. Very breath we breathe. Give it breath unto the people upon it. And that's saved and lost. He gives breath to, to all people. In spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will uphold thine hand. Oh, the Lord carries us and keeps us, beloved. And will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles. And this is, look at this. And this is not true. Does Christ not open the blind eyes? To open the blind eyes. We see Christ now. We were once blind, but now we see. To open the blind eyes. Look at this. To bring out the prisoners from the prison. We were in the prison house of sin. We had no way to get out. No way at all. But, but God's delivered us. Hallelujah. He took us out of that, beloved. Bless his name. Is it any wonder again that God's people bless his name? Oh, my to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, to them that sat in, in darkness out of the prison house. We were in darkness and we didn't even know it. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Without hope. But what a hope the believer has now. They've been bought out of the, the prison house of sin. Set free, beloved. And look at this. I am the Lord. He's Jehovah. He's Jehovah. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. We prescribe salvation all to the Lord and Him alone. God will not share His glory with anyone. People who are saved, that they're saved by their works or saved by their doing, they're still in glory from God. God is the only one who saves. And He will not share His glory with anyone. That's why we give Him all the glory, beloved. We give Him all the praise for what He's done. It's wonderful. Neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Bless His name, beloved. Bless the name of the Lord for the great things that He hath done for His people. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 8. Now we'll look at verse 57. And we, we, we who are the people of God know this, this statement, this fact to be true. Our God is ever faithful to His people. Is it not so in your life? Can you not trace back in your life and see the faithfulness of God continually? Continually. My. He is ever faithful to His people. There's been mountains that have come in our way. 
mountains that we think, Lord, how am I going to deal with this? What, what, you know, it could be a mountain of sickness, mountain of distress or anxiety, mountain of something, trouble in the soul of the saint. And God just mows it down. (laughs) And we look back and we see the faithfulness of God again and again and again and again in our lives He is ever faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Look what it says in verse 57. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. Turn, if you would, to to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Listen to what the Lord proclaims to Joshua here. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. And may these truths be just, just go deep into your soul. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And then put your finger in Hebrews chapter 13. Matthew chapter 28. In Hebrews 13. 13. We see this truth both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God will never forsake or leave his people. Never. This is a truth proclaimed in the Old Testament and the truth proclaimed in the New Testament. Listen to the words of our Master in Matthew 28, verse 20. It says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I'm with you. God is ever with His people. Now turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of Hebrews. And oh, how this can comfort the believer to know that our Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, other people in our lives might leave us. We've all had that happen. We've all had people leave us in our lives. But God will never leave. Never leave His people. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Look at this. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, God has said this, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And in the Greek, that's in a triple. Never, not ever, ever. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we, God's born again, blood-bought people, may boldly say what? The Lord is my helper. The Lord's my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord's my helper. Can you say that? God's people who do say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now this is a promise of God, beloved, that He will ever be with His people. That He will ever be with His people. And we know we have the comforter, the Holy Spirit, again, guiding and directing us into all truth. 
We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Now we who are the people of God, we stand in daily need of assistance of God, don't we? We need Him every day. We need Him every day. And God is ever with us. He is ever with us. And He's never failed us. He's never failed His people. He never slumbers nor sleeps, beloved. And He's ever with us. God's care for His people is constant. He never, goes, he never grows tired of caring for us because he loves us with an everlasting love. He never grows weary of us because he loves us with an everlasting love. And God's promises to his people will never fail. Never I ask you, you who are the redeemed of the Lord, has God ever failed you? Ever? Never. And the reason God's promises will never fail is because they're in Christ. And another reason that they're never failed is because God, what God has promised to do, he has both the power and the ability to do it. Now, we may promise things, but we don't have the ability to do things sometimes. Or the power to do things. But God has both the power and the ability to do exactly what he promises. And all that he has promised will come to pass. Listen to the words of Joshua. He knows that his departure is soon at hand. And he tells the people of God in Joshua 23 verse 14. This is what he says to them. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And ye know in all your hearts and in your, all your souls that, that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. Not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. Not one. Not one. All are come to pass unto you, and not one hath failed thereof. Not one. Let's go back and look at our text real quick. 1 Kings 8.56 Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise. Not one. Which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. There were promises given by God to Moses. God gave Israel the promised rest. But he gave it to them, and after that they had many trials. They had trials. Well, the day is coming, beloved. When all the trials of this world will be finished for the believer. And we're entering into the eternal rest and be with Christ forever. And God's people say, bless his name. Bless his name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be together, for allowing us to look to thy word and see the glorious things that are spoken of thee, O Lord, to see thy power and thy majesty, to see that in Christ Jesus our Lord, oh, what a wonderful Savior we have, all our sins forgiven, all of them. 
blotted out by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, paid in full everything that you demanded. Glory to you, O Lord Jesus. And we marvel, Lord, and as you promised, you'll never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we're going through, you're always ever with us. And, and Lord, we know, we who are your people know that not one of your promises ever failed. You've never failed us. You've never, ever failed us. And we look forward to that day when we'll gaze upon your face, gaze upon you who is our, the rest of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.